Reading from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? I cry to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march to the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. The horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. And that is the word of the Lord. Wow, how good it is to worship on Easter Sunday. Amen. Amen. This is our third time of worship today, and we have a fourth at five o'clock this evening, and and so so excited to be able to proclaim God's word. In the early church, the the church would do uh, do had this practice. It was so neat, and we've done it in all of our services today. But the pastor would say, "Christ is risen," and the church would respond, "He is risen indeed." And so let's do that this morning. And uh, uh, so so the eight o'clock uh, crowd was a little quiet. And then we were packed out at the last service, more room, breathing room in here this morning, but it's later. So you should, you should be with it. All right. So you're ready. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Wow. You guys are the best. Like you're the best. Like that sounds good. But even more than that, how amazing that we serve a risen savior. And so this morning we begin a series that may strike you strange. Why in the world would you ever begin a series on Easter Sunday from the book of Habakkuk of, of all places? And the series is called Tough Questions, Answers to Life's Toughest Questions. And my, my hope, honestly, is that if you are just checking us out today, you're coming here for the first time, or maybe you've come before and you're coming back, that you'll uh, hang with us uh, over the next four weeks as we look at four uh, tough questions that Habakkuk raises and God's answers to those questions. Uh, we are um, a, a people who like to ask questions and certainly children ask more than others. I found this research this week that, that has been done on how many questions children ask. And moms are going to know this. It showed that moms, the study, are asked more questions an hour than a teacher or a doctor. Uh, the research found that four-year-old girls were the most curious, uh, asking 390 questions a day. That is one question every one minute, 56 seconds. All right, so some of you who have daughters know exactly what I'm talking about, right? They love to ask some questions. So here are some sample questions that were in this article. A seven-year-old uh, just randomly asked, are there more leaves in the world or blades of grass? Um, 
a, a swim teacher. I teach swimming lessons, she said. My favorite question has been, when do we learn how to breathe underwater? In the middle of dinner, uh, with no context, uh, what did it feel like on your last day of being a child? Some of you don't know that yet. Um, While cookies are baking, my three-year-old niece asks, are the cookies loading? Signs of the times. And then uh, this one, since your eyes are blue, does that mean you see everything in blue? Uh, These uh, very uh, interesting and uh, important questions that uh, kids think actually are super, super important. Uh, But when we start to grow up, uh, we still have questions, but our questions change. Uh, There are still things that come to our mind and we want to know the answers, but uh, the questions change. And for Habakkuk, he had some serious questions. One of the things that you'll discover over the next four weeks is that God never once chides Habakkuk for asking. He doesn't come down on him. He doesn't in any part of this chide Habakkuk for asking. Uh, So that's wonderful to know. I would say to you a couple of observations about questions. Number one, if you're asking questions, most likely someone else has already asked God that one. Right? Somebody before your time or who's on planet earth now has asked the question that you're asking. And secondly, it's entirely possible that God uh, himself uh, has some questions too. Habakkuk is in Jerusalem, the capital city of God's nation, of God's people. And it is there that bad things are going on. The trouble that is brewing in Jerusalem gets his attention. Killing is commonplace. Sin is rampant. Injustice rules the day. These aren't just any old people. These are the people of God. God brought them out of Egypt on dry land across the Red Sea. God brought them into the promised land, and when they were hungry, rained down manna from heaven, honey-baked croissants, if you will, from heaven. Uh, He rained manna down from heaven. He uh, flew in quail to feed them. These are the people that God took up and uh, across the Jordan uh, under Joshua, and they marched around the city of Jericho until the walls fell down. These are the people who are now sinning against God. God. It is an ugly sight. And so Habakkuk says two questions. How long? How long before you hear my cry for help? Why? Why do you sit idly by while bad things happen? How long, God, and why? Perhaps you have asked those questions even this week. You watch the news on Tuesday. There's another attack in an unsuspecting airport. And you wonder, how long, God, will you sit on your throne and let this evil continue? Why? God, why? Why? Does the evil get to go on and on and on and good seemingly swallowed up by? 
Maybe for you, you don't have to watch the news. Your, your question is, is bound up in the phone call you received this week and you thought things were good at work and you lost your job and you don't quite understand. It doesn't make sense to you. Your question perhaps is bound up in, in a divorce. You never, ever thought that you of all people would be going through separation and divorce. And now your kids are scrambling, trying to figure things out. Our scripture reader for the earlier service, Joe Head, couldn't read because Barbara, who is battling cancer, is so ill. He said, I cannot leave her side. We... We have these personal whys. We have these personal how longs that we don't even have to watch the news or read Habakkuk to see. They're very real. God answered him, but the answer was shocking. Doesn't seem to be it. So verse five, God says, look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. How might we summarize, if we read the entire book of Habakkuk, God's answer to him, you could summarize it like this. Unthinkable sin demands unbelievable justice. Unthinkable sin demands unbelievable justice. Uh, How long is Habakkuk's First question, shall I cry for help and you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save? You see, Habakkuk wasn't the first one to ask how long. As a matter of fact, God himself had asked that question. If you go all the way back to the... um, the raining down of the manna, the flying in of the quail. Uh, God is taking care of his people, but his people think they have to take care of themselves. God says, just get enough for the day. You don't need to hoard this. You don't need to save it up. I will take care of you. But what do they do? They hoard it. They save it up. It goes sour. God shows up and he speaks to his servant Moses on behalf of his people. And the Lord said to Moses... How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? God has his own how long question. We we ask those, but God does too. And then they're in the the wilderness. They're, They're headed to the promised land and they send 12 spies. 10 of them, we don't know their name. Uh, It's because they're cowards. Who wants to name your kid after a coward? Right? But two of them, we do know their names. Some of you bear their names, Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb come back with a good report. Ten of them come back with a horrible report. It's too big. It's too large. We can't do it. Uh, We cannot do it. And so what happens when that happens? The people grumble, they complain, and here's what God says to Moses. How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I've done among them? How long? Go all the way into the New Testament, Jesus. Jesus is ministering. 
And his disciples are with him and they bring a boy who is demon possessed and the disciples just don't know what to do. And they try and they fail. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he said, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. How long? Do you ever wonder how many times God may have asked that question of you? How how long will I bless him? How how long will I bless her? And she still continue in her ways. And he still continue down his own path. And do his own thing. And order his life by his own rules. Habakkuk asked why. It's a tough why question. Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you look idly at wrong? Habakkuk honestly thinks God has forgotten this evil thing that's going on. How bad is it? How bad is it? He says the law is paralyzed. Uh, There's injustice everywhere. Many of you know that Trent had another surgery on Thursday. And so we were there at the hospital uh, for the surgery, uh, at the surgery center. And as we were, um, uh, Trent's surgery went well. We're so grateful. Uh, But I watched moms roll in children who will never in their lives walk. And I thought about Trent. He's been through a lot. Yes. But the kid walks, and runs. I saw moms and dads push children in for different kinds of procedures and treatments whose limbs are just marled and mangled and they'll never get out of the wheelchair. Some will never speak a word. And you look at that and you think, why? Why? Could I say to you, if you're there this morning, God's not thrown off by your question. God, God isn't, uh, he's not shocked by it. He's, he's, he's not uh, wringing his hands wondering how he might answer you. Uh, Habakkuk says the law is paralyzed. The word literally means numb. Justice never goes forth. The wicked prosper. The righteous suffer. Justice is perverted and twisted. Bad people get away with bad things. Innocent people suffer. This reminds me of what, uh, what he's referring to as injustice, unfairness. And all of you have experienced it. All of you have at some point. You've wondered the same thing. If you're driving down the interstate and you're doing the same speed as everybody and you get pulled and they don't, what's the first question that comes to your mind? Why? That's not really fair. They were speeding too, right? You think that. For me, I go all the way back to college. So I was in college. I had a a class. My roommate had the same class, though he was a year behind me in school. We both had the same class, same professor, different time. All right, so we're in this religion. We're in religion class, same professor, different time. And for our midterm, this is how it went down. We received a list of essay questions. And from that list of essay questions, we were able to ask uh, uh, able to answer all of those questions. And then the professor on our midterm would just randomly choose some. And that was our midterm. 
So being the nerd that I am and uh, that I was and that I am, I sat down, pencil and paper, didn't have computers back in the day, at least for us. Computers were in large rooms for all you younger people. And so I sat down with pencil and paper and answered every single one of those questions. It was 20 written pages front and back. Well, one day while I was out and about, my roommate, Steve, decided that he might like my answers. And so he took the 20 pages, unbeknownst to me, out of my backpack. And I was walking in to study the library when I saw Steve and all of his fraternity brothers with big grins on their faces. Why? They were copying my work. Well, nerds aren't fighters by nature. I mean, we just, you know, fight with our brains, not with our arms. And so, but I remember walking over and seeing all these guys and the copying machine just running with all this work I'd done. And I ripped it uh, out of Steve's hands and said some kind of ungodly things to him in front of all of his fraternity brothers. And I walked out. (sighs) And then we took the test and he did better than me. No lie. His score was better than mine. I still remember I made 88. He made a 92. I was furious. That Why? It's unfair. It's unjust. That's what Habakkuk is talking about. Righteous people are suffering. Bad people are, 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 are profiting. They're doing well. Nothing is fair, he says. Nothing at all. God's answer, unthinkable sin demands unbelievable justice. God, who is not an alarmist, check this out, says, look, see, wonder, be astounded. Look, see, wonder, be astounded. I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. And he begins to describe them. They're bitter, hasty, seized dwellings, not their own, fearsome. Justice and dignity go forth from themselves. What does that mean? It means that there's no Geneva Convention that they ascribe to. That's what it means. When they have prisoners of war, they'll treat them any way they want. Uh, There's no decorum. They are their own rule. The Chaldeans are the ISIS of today. They marched to their own drum and God raised them up to take care of his own people. Don't miss that. Why? Unthinkable sin demands unbelievable justice. How formidable was this enemy, the Chaldeans? God describes them as their horses being swifter than leopards. Leopards run 36 miles an hour. God describes them as being fierce as evening wolves. What does that mean? In the evening, they haven't eaten yet. And you can bet your bottom dollar that before the sun goes down, they will. So they stalk their prey, fall behind a pack of animals. And when they do, what happens? One of them gets spooked 
And when he gets spooked, he stumbles. And when he stumbles into the snow, the rest of the herd leaves and these ravenous wolves come in and devour that animal. Those were the Chaldeans. God describes them as being like an eagle in flight. An eagle can see a rabbit from a mile away, pinpoint it, dive down, grab it with its talons, rip it to shreds, and eat it. These were the Chaldeans, and God is raising them up to take care of his own people. Why? Unthinkable sin demands unbelievable justice. As a matter of fact, if you go look at history, it is remarkable that such a kingdom would rise so quickly and within 70 to 80 years be gone. Just like that, God raised up the Chaldeans. He he told Habakkuk, if I told you how it's going to roll out, you wouldn't believe me. So let me tell you how it rolled out. First Kings, you'll see it on the screen. Uh, First Kings, or second Kings rather, 25, one through seven. And in the ninth year of his reign, in the 10th month, on the 10th day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came with all his army against Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And they built siege works all around it. So the city was besieged until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. That means for two years, no food went into Jerusalem. For two years. Notice what happened. On the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then a breach was made in the city and all the men of war fled by night by the way of the gate between the two walls by the king's garden and the Chaldeans or Babylonians were around the city. It gets worse. And they went in the direction of of the Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. And all his army was scattered from him. Then they captured the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah. And they passed sentence on him. It gets worse. Here's the sentence. They slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah the king before his eyes. And they gouged out his eyes and bound him to chains and took him to Babylon. That's how it went down. And God says, Habakkuk, if I had told you, you wouldn't have believed the end to this story. Why? Unthinkable sin demands unbelievable justice. And who in their wildest imagination would have believed uh, what would happen 600 years later? When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. Just like he raised up the Chaldeans, that fearsome and awful nation, God raised up his son, that fearless and awesome savior. Why? Why? Unthinkable sin demands unbelievable 
justice. Unlike the Chaldeans, Jesus lived a perfect life, completely void of sin. But he came for one purpose. He came to die. A cross cast a shadow over the cradle. Why? Unthinkable sin demands unbelievable justice. He grew up. He began to do ministry, performed miracles, raised the dead. He healed the blind. He caused the lame to walk. He fed the hungry. And then he was unfairly tried, found guilty of crimes he never committed. He was beaten, a crown of thorns put on his head, beaten with the cat of nine tails that had glass shards and pottery shards and metal shards in it that came down over his back. 39 times that whip came down on Jesus. Why? Because... Unthinkable sin requires unbelievable justice. Then they took him to the cross. Remember that why question of Habakkuk? Now Jesus has his own. The sky is dark. The earth is quaking. And the question comes. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The answer, unthinkable sin demands unbelievable justice. You see what Habakkuk didn't get? was that Jesus died for those rebelling Jews that he called out to God about. But Jesus died for him too. Say, say, Jerry, what do you mean? They take Jesus down from the cross. He's so poor. God in human flesh is so poor. He doesn't have the money for a proper burial. But there are two men who show up. And then there's a woman. And they all show up to take care of his body. Joseph of Arimathea. He's a wealthy guy. He's converted at some point. And he says, I have a tomb. He can use mine. Little did he know. Right. What he was offering up. But then there's a guy that if you've ever studied the Bible, you know about. His name, Nicodemus. He came to Jesus in John 3 by night, a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a religious guy. He, had, uh, he knew the law. He knew everything. But there was something about Jesus that pricked his conscience. And he thought, I've got to go find out if he's for real. But I'm definitely not going in the daytime, lest he be a hoax. And people discover that I'm hanging out with this guy named Jesus. So in the middle of the night, he finds Jesus. They have a conversation in John 3. And guess where Nicodemus shows back up? John 19. He takes his money and and buys 75 pounds of spices to embalm the body of Jesus. Nicodemus was a religious guy. 
Why did Jesus die for Nicodemus? Because unthinkable sin demands unbelievable justice. What was his sin? Self-righteousness? Yeah. Maybe this will help. A couple weeks ago, I took Trent fishing, and we took Quanto, his friend. Quantavian um, and Trent play basketball together, uh, and so Quanto's at the house a lot. He's a good kid. So, Quanto had stepped out for something, and I said, Trent, you know, as much as Quanto hangs out with us, we have never shared the gospel with him. And Trent said, yeah. I said, do you want to do that today? And Trent said, go for it. And so we're all back in the Jeep. We're Trent, we stopped and Trent had to go get some worms. And we're back in the Jeep and we are heading out. And when we are, uh, I said, Quanto, you know, you, you hang out with us a lot. And we love having you. We just love having you with us. I said, but it dawned on me today that I've never asked you about Jesus. He was just really quiet. And I said, Quanto, if you were to die, where would you go? He said, heaven. I said, why do you think so? He said, I've been a good boy. Agreed. I said, Quanto, you are a good kid. I absolutely agree with you. I said, but I have a question for you. When do you know you've been good enough that you've done enough good things to go to heaven? And he sat there with this puzzled look on his face. So I thought, follow up. I said, Quanto, let me ask you this. What do you think will keep you out of heaven? He said, well, I think if you do anything to get put in jail, you probably shouldn't go to heaven. Fair enough. All right. Fair enough. So I said, Quanto, I have another question for you. Let's say you get angry at your brother or sister or friend and you get angry enough and you slap him through the face. Do you think that you should still be able to go to heaven? He said, yeah. I said, all right. Just one more question and I'm finished, I promise. I said, Quanto, if heaven is a place where when people get angry at one another, they slap each other through the face. Do you think that's a heaven you want to spend eternity in? And he was completely quiet. You, you see, Quanto's a good boy. Nicodemus was a good man. So was Joseph of Arimathea. But what they all and what we all have in common is a three-letter word called 
sin. And all of it, from the very least to the very greatest, is unthinkable to God. All of it put Jesus on the cross. So some of you find yourselves there. You're a good, religious, moral person who's banking on your good deeds to somehow tip the scales and God say, come in. But others of you are in John 20. Three days have passed, Mary Magdala. You've got Joseph of Arimathea, Mary of Magdala, therefore Mary Magdalene. Mary of Magdala comes also with some spices, uh, some other women, and they're going to anoint Jesus' body. And when Mary comes, uh, you... You wouldn't expect Mary and Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea to ever meet together. Religious, spiritual, theological, demon-possessed Mary Magdalene. She, she was possessed, Scripture says, by seven demons. Uh, some say that's the, the real number. Others say the seven represents complete. She was completely demon-possessed. Everything she did was under the control of Satan. Everything she did. She was completely possessed by those demons, and yet Jesus encountered her, and he changed her too. He, he changed Nicodemus, and he changed Joseph of Arimathea, and now he has changed Mary Magdala. And all of them meet at this tomb, and, and uh, Joseph and, and Nicodemus came on Friday to take care of his body. Mary comes on Sunday to do some more spices to take care. It's just a loving thing to do. To take care of him. And Mary's there and he's, he's, he's dead as far as she knows. <laughs> and there are some guys there. And she says, Where, the, the stone is rolled. There's no body. Uh, somebody must have moved the body of Jesus. And so she, she says, where is he? And they ask her this question like, you idiot. Go read it. It it, it says, why do you seek the living among the dead? Did you not know he said in three days he would rise again? And Mary is just, her mind is blown at this point. So she turns and that's not satisfactory to her. Talk about some questions, right? She's fine to ask them all day long. So she turns and she sees a guy there. She thinks it's the gardener. So maybe he'll know. And she looks at the gardener and she says, can you tell me where they have taken the body of Jesus? And And the gardener looks at her and says, Mary. And when he says her name, she immediately turns and says, Rabboni, which is Aramaic for teacher. Uh, She recognized him to be Jesus Christ. And he was no longer dead. He was alive. This Jesus who had done the unthinkable for her unthinkable sins. God had poured all of his wrath on Jesus was now alive. And Mary Magda looked at him and did what you immediately would want to do. 
It's what Wendy and I couldn't wait to do after waiting about three and a half hours on Thursday. We could not wait to go into that room and touch Trent and feel the warmth of the blood rushing through his body. And Mary just reached out to touch him, didn't she? And he said, no, I've not yet ascended. I've not yet ascended. Now, in light of that, let's read. Let's read verse verse 5. Look among the nations and see. You see, all a prophecy has both an or much of prophecy has both an immediate fulfillment and a future. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For Habakkuk and Jerusalem, that was the Chaldeans. For every person in this room who believes it is the Christ. Amen? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. I just find it astounding and say only Jesus could gather such unlikely company at his empty tomb. The religious Pharisee, the demon-possessed woman. Would you bow your heads? If you're here this morning and you do not know Christ... I have a simple question. Will you believe? Will you trust him to be your Lord and your Savior? That's the simple question. First Corinthians 5, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For some of you, that is your next step. Trust Christ as your Savior. Receive his forgiveness. And we'd love to baptize you at our 5 p.m. service today. And if that's you, here's a simple prayer. Much like Quanto prayed in our Jeep. Dear Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I am sorry. For my sins. Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose from the dead. I trust you as my Lord. I trust you as my Savior. From this day on, my life is yours. If you've prayed that prayer, Adrian, our youth pastor, is out in the lobby just by the desk that you saw on the right when you came in. And while we're singing this song, he'd love to talk with you. You just slip out. And Adrian would be glad to share with you how to know 
price. There are others of you, Easter Sunday is, is kind of a getting back on track day. I would love for you to commit to hearing me out on the next three sermons in this series.